All right, we're gaining on it. We're, we're getting towards the end of the book of Revelation. So it gets ramped up and the, the glorious things lie yet ahead. And so tonight as we continue, we'll pick up in chapter 18. We'll prayerfully get through the entire chapter tonight. I think we can pull that off and do it justice, I believe. But as we began this amazing book, you may remember that we drew attention that really this last day system that will be governed by the Antichrist, empowered by Satan himself, will really have three component parts. Those three component parts uh, we saw last time, uh, the conclusion of that one world religion. There'll be a final world religious system that will seek to bring together all of the religions of the world under the banner of a single unifying structure. And that structure will be the old structure of the, of the Roman church. Here in chapter 18, we now have revealed to us this, this final monetary or commercial system. And remember that Scripture largely uses money, possessions, goods, those types of things, almost completely interchangeably. And that is very easy to understand because at that day and time, most people lived in an agrarian society where they traded chickens and wheat and all kinds of things. So when you talk to somebody about money, you might get a goat. And so in that sense, when we talk about a commercial system, uh, we would look at it very differently today, but it certainly applies in our time to a final commercial system that involves all of the world's goods and products and services and banking and investments and monetary instruments and all of those things grouped together with which we buy, sell, trade goods. And so that comes in view here in chapter 18. We'll finally get to the end uh, of the ruler when we get to the next chapter, chapter 19. Uh, to the end as the Lord returns in the second coming. Before we do that next week, the marriage supper of the Lamb. But as we dig in tonight, I want to share just a little bit of a story with you. It's found in the Little Brown Book of Anecdotes. It was published in 1985. But it tells the story of a man named Vladimir Nabkov, and he was a Russian-born novelist who wrote a, a number of novels. Maybe some of you have read them. If you've ever read Lolita, that's one of his, Pale Fire, uh, Ada were all three his books, very famous author, in fact. One summer in the 1940s, Nabokov and his family here in the United States were staying in, in, of all places, in Alta, Utah. If you've ever been there, that's way uh, up in the Wasatch Mountains. There's a ski area there, but he was staying, and he had an affinity for collecting butterflies. He was working on his collection of butterflies and moths, and the story is told in this book, and he was never praised, if you've read his work, he's not praised for his compassion. Uh, he was a rather dry and a rather uh, kind of a, a droll writer in that sense. Somewhat macabre would be another word. Uh, he was single-minded about that, though, if nothing else. And one evening at dusk, he decided to go out on a little hunt for a couple of butterflies that existed in that canyon uh, which houses a couple of ski areas, and he returned after catching a few of them. Uh, and he said to the man he was staying with, he said, I was in hot pursuit, I was down in the bottom of Bear Gulch, and I heard someone groaning terribly and moaning and crying out. And the man that he was staying with said, well, did you stop? And he said, no. 
I was chasing a butterfly and it was a specimen that I don't have yet. The next day they found the corpse of an aged prospector down in the bottom of that gulch. Much of the world is chasing butterflies while people are dying. And that's the story here in chapter 18. You see, much of the world is chasing after things that cannot satisfy, that at the end will not matter, that cannot provide what we're actually searching for because people are looking for something that can only be found in a relationship with their creator. And so as they search after power and passion and possessions, as they search after monetary wealth, if they look for great gain, Jesus made it very clear that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I would say to you that the world has now reached that place to where we're willing to sell people's lives for butterflies. You see it in the news media every single day. We just had a brutal slaying and suicide at UCLA just yesterday. A crazed man who believed that someone, a professor, took his computer codes, and so that was a reason to walk into his office and shoot him to death, and then the man took his own life after having killed someone in Minnesota as well. We have gotten to the place to where material goods mean far more than the Lord ever intended. As we dig in tonight, you might remember back in chapter 13, we saw the political world system headed by the Antichrist. There, there, will, be a, there will be a world ruler, and the world is absolutely set for this ruler to come on the scene right now tonight. The world is in constant turmoil. China just announced today that it's planning on setting up uh, full radar advanced weapons systems on those islands that they just built in the Spratleys in the South China Sea. That's nuts. It's crazy. That's an international shipping lane through which more than half of the world's goods transit. That's not trying to say anything political. It's just simply saying our world is a dangerous place. And it's completely disassociated one nation with another, and yet we cry out for global solutions. We cry out for global monetary instruments as well. We saw that one world religious system in chapter 17. The world cries out for that today. Everyone says that's the way that you solve the crisis in the Middle East. Matter of fact, very specifically, much of the world believes if you just simply did away with Christianity that the world would be a better place. The world is aching for a system, and that system is on the horizon. It's very easy to see. Now I can tell you that this is new news. This is not old news. This is new news. These things have, in a sense, existed in much of the world for quite some time but never have they been on the verge of reality. They're now on the verge of reality, where people are actually talking about these things as a unified whole. And now here in chapter 18, this commercial system represented by Babylon 
Some people believe that chapter 17, chapter 18 are exactly the same. I, I humbly and completely disagree. And the reason that I do that is, is because of what we read about these two world systems. Uh, the apostate church, that religious system, is actually hated by the kings of the earth. It's despised by the kings of the earth. While this commercial system is loved by the kings of the earth. They're two totally different systems. Though they are unified in the sense that they co-labor together in the world, they're not the same system. We'll, we'll read when we get to verses 8 and 9. Those plagues will come in one day and death and mourning and famine utterly burned with fire. But those kings who committed fornication lived luxuriously with this world system will weep when this system goes down. They're, not, they're going to rejoice when the religious system disappears. And so as we look at this system tonight, we find this incredible picture of the last days. In thinking through these things, you know, very often people say, well, it's all speculation. Well, I beg to differ. Because there are a lot of things that exist in our world that when you think in a global sense, uh, we, we have seen come to fruition in our lifetimes. Most of us who are in this room, who are between 50 and say 75, 80 years old, we have watched every single one of these things appear on the world stage. We've watched the rise of the International Monetary Fund. In essence, a single clearinghouse, if you will, ultimately for all of the world's wealth is what it's intended to be. We've watched the world government's central banks. As I was doing development of a Calvary Chapel facility down in Brazil, the Brazilian central bank actually controlled the flow of money in and out of the nation of Brazil. And so when you transferred money in, the bank kept it as long as they wanted to keep it. They released it whenever they wanted to release it. It was not actually yours until they said it was yours. That's true in many nations of the world today. Now imagine that almost all of our banking now, if you have an iPhone and you happen to have Chase Bank, you don't need a bank. You've got it in your pocket. Amen? You can just, I watched my son Austin do it. He pulls out his check, he throws it on the table, takes a picture of it, hits deposit, boom, it's in his bank account. You don't think that that could be hacked in any way, shape, or form, or that somebody could just say, well, no, you don't actually have that money. We used to have our currency backed by gold and silver. It's backed by air, most of it hot. (laughs) The world is like that. There's no substance to anything financial in the world. It's backed by nothing. Matter of fact, when you look at our world, and if you want a little, there's a a website there at the bottom. If you want to see how bad it is, go, go to that website It's just usdebtclock.org. Log on to that and watch it click off. And I'll draw your attention to a couple of numbers that are on that page. One is the national debt, which now hovers, it's getting near $19.5 trillion. The number you need to know is the gross domestic product of the United States of America. It's almost a trillion less than the debt. In other words, we spend more money than we take in We're losing trillions of dollars annually. Now, I don't know what happens to you when you lose 
you know, 20, 30, 50, 80, 100% of your income, then you go try and buy something, eventually somebody's going to go, no, I don't think so. Now, what if there's a world ruler who decides that he's going to be the one that controls whether you get to buy anything at all, like a loaf of bread? And he's demanded that you have a mark on your forehead, your right hand, to do so. And now everything in the world requires nothing but electronic transmission of data. You see, people say, wow, that couldn't happen. I beg to differ with you. It could happen right now. You may have some coins in your purse right now or your wallet. You may have some bills in your wallet or your purse right now. You may have some money in the bank. But I can tell you right now, if the United States government decides tonight that it does not want to honor those bills, it doesn't have to. People go, well, it's backed by the Federal Reserve. Do you know that the Federal Reserve is not even part of the U.S. government? It is a wholly owned private corporation. So when people say, well, no, that'll never happen. Yeah, it will. Because God's word says it will. Now, here's the good news. You ain't going to be there. Amen? If you love the Lord and are looking forward to and hastening his appearing. Amen? If you know Jesus, you don't have to worry about these things. But your friends who don't know Jesus do. Your family who do not know the Lord do need to be very concerned because the world is heading this way. It's going to get very obvious in our passage tonight. And so verse 1, here in chapter 18 of the book of Revelation, and after these things, so religious Babylon is gone. I saw another angel coming down from heaven having great authority. And the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried with mightily with a loud voice saying, Babylon the great is fallen. It is fallen. It's become a dwelling place for demons, a prison for every kind of foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all of the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. There's very few things about which you could say all of the nations will have drunk. One of them would be financial things. We are radically interconnected as a world tonight through financial systems. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. What is the driving force behind almost all things in the world? Is it not financial dealings? Is it not things like oil, commodities, military hardware, You you see, we often disassociate because back in these days, it was sacks of coins and sacks of grain. But in our days, it's technology, it's proprietary software, it's computer hardware, it's all kinds of things. But we are interconnected right now through a global financial system. The reserve currency of the world happens to still be the U.S. dollar, but it has been close to being the euro it's been, it's been close to, to being the Chinese, Japanese currencies. We, we've had a couple of different occasions to where it's like, mm, I'm not sure the dollar's going to be it anymore. Why? Because the goods move globally. 
Nobody wants to get a dollar that's worth 73 cents when they can get a euro that's worth 86. And so what happens if the world finally says, well, enough's enough. Let's not base it on any one country because they're all a mess, which is pretty much the truth right now, isn't it? China has four and a half trillion dollars of debt. The United States has 18 point, I think, three, five tonight trillion dollars in national debt. The European Union has about eight trillion dollars in corporate debt, if you will, of the EU. You have countries like Greece that are completely bankrupt. You have states like California, same, bankrupt. So imagine somebody comes along and says, hey, I got a, we're going to have a globo coin. I don't know what they're going to call it. Antichrist bucks or something. I don't know. Because <laughs> what you got right now is monopoly money, amen? It's what you got in your wallet tonight. Praise God we have monopoly money, but it, it's not worth much. I have, have up in my office, the, I have some Zimbabwe dollars. I have a $5 trillion Zimbabwe note. That's because they've had runaway inflation. That's worth less than 20 cents. $5 trillion is worth less than 20 cents. Imagine how many of those you need for a loaf of bread. Honey, do you have a couple hundred trillion dollars I could have? I need to go get some soda. And the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. You want to know something that's really strange? Do you know what still continues to be sold even when things are really bad? Luxuries. Because wealthy people continue to be wealthy people, and very often it's at the expense of poor people. And so when there is great wealth that's amassed by the world's leaders, the wealthy are still going to have the things of wealth. And that's the picture as we begin this chapter. Notice, if you want to turn, there's a couple of chapters that you can look at in Isaiah. Go to chapter, chapter 13 of the book Isaiah, book of Isaiah, verse 17. It says, Behold, you see, I think there's, there's a system that we can look that's in place. If you've been following what's been going on in Iraq, Iraq is finally getting some moxie. They're starting to take back some of the ground that ISIS has swallowed up, and there's a reason for it. Iraq sits on the world's single largest pool of oil. And that's how ISIS has been funding much of what they do. They've taken over refineries, and they've been selling oil on the black market. Verse 17, Isaiah 13, Behold, I will stir up the Medes against them, who will not regard silver. And as for gold, they'll not delight it. Also their bows will dash their young men to pieces. They'll have no pity on the fruit of their womb, nor their eye will not spare the children. There was a time in the history of the children of Israel uh, when the Medes, the Persians, were the powerful people in the world. Next would come the Babylonians. The Medes attacked the Babylonians, uh, overtook the city of Babylon, uh, but the city came with great difficulty, and, and as it was taken, they did not destroy the city of Babylon. And in fact, you pick up the story in the book of Daniel where King Belshazzar is having a, a little bit of a party, uh, suggesting that he's just fine with his place in the world. Then in Daniel chapter 5, you find this, verse 26, speaking of that King Nebuchadnezzar, God has numbered your kingdom, he's finished it. You've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Your kingdom has been divided and given 
to the Medes and the Persians. And so Babylon falls, the Medes come in. There, there's, this, there's this battleground that is called the Middle East. And dead in the center of it uh, is the nation that we call today Iraq. Uh, to its eastern border is the nation called Persia, the land of the Medes and the Persians. To the west of that you find the land that we call the, the Holy Land, the Middle East, which includes the countries of Jordan and Syria, parts of the Sinai Peninsula, Egypt, Lebanon. And so this contested ground is one day going to rise as a world power again. That's hard to imagine right now. But it's been tried before. In that victory in Isaiah 45, uh, we're told that the gates of the city, the city itself, were not destroyed. So Babylon would lie in a state of pseudo-ruin, but not be completely destroyed. And then back to chapter 13 of the book of Isaiah, in verse 19, it says, Babylon The glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldeans' pride will be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. Now that hasn't happened. There's been some form of Babylon has existed where Babylon is today uh, to this day from ancient times. So much so uh, that we have a whole bunch of historical evidence, archaeological evidence, to say that the peoples have been there continuously Uh, more than likely for at least the last 3,500 years. It will never be inhabited. Well, it has continued to be inhabited until today. There are still people there. Nor will it be settled from generation to generation, nor will an Arabian pitch his tents there, nor will the shepherds make their sheepfolds there. But wild beasts from the desert will lie there. Their houses will be full of owls, and ostriches will dwell there, and wild goats and caper, that's a type of, of uh, almost a cow. The hyenas will howl in their citadels, the jack- jackals in their pleasant places. Her time is near to come, and her days will not be prolonged. That's speaking of total destruction. And yet, even today, uh, if you were to travel to that area of the world, you're, you're not only going to find a, a city, literally called Babylon, but you find that our, our good old buddy Saddam Hussein, who fashioned himself the reincarnation of Nebuchadnezzar himself, uh, start and set to rebuilding the ancient city of Babylon, including the Hanging Gardens, which were one of the ancient wonders of the ancient world. He rebuilt the palace. That is a picture of it that you have at the top of that. And he manufactured some 60, 60 million uh, of these incredible bricks. And, and how did he have the power to do that? It's real simple. It's a three-letter word. begins with O. It's oil. And it all started in a very interesting period of time. You all probably know it. If you were alive in 1973 and you were driving a car, if you, as, if you were as I was, uh, fresh out of, that was my senior year, I was out of high school, and gas doubled in one year. It went from 27, 28 cents a gallon at Unimart to about 56, 58 cents a gallon. And we were not told why at the time. Well, looking back, we now know why. It was in October of that year that Israel was invaded 
by the Arab nations that surrounded her, the United States provided material help for the Israelis, including F-4 Phantom jets, which at the time were the fastest jet on the planet, capable of supersonic speed, nearly Mach 2. And they provided them with weaponry for those jets, and they provided them with tactical advice, military weapons, and radar systems. And so as the Israelis won that war rather decisively, the Arab nations all got together and decided to punish the United States of America. How did they do it? By jacking up the price of oil. Now imagine that there's a world ruler that comes on the scene and decides he wants to get a hold of the world, and the world is still dependent on, guess what? Oil. And until some of you start replacing the batteries in those Priuses you have, um, you're going to think they're a real good idea. But then when you get that $9,000 bill to replace the batteries in your Prius, you're going to find out that oil is still actually a pretty good thing to have in your car. I'm not picking on you. I'd like to have a car if I could just not buy batteries for it. But the world is still dependent on fossil fuels. And it's going to remain so for quite some time. So if this is in our near future, imagine what someone could do if they laid hold of the Middle East. Now imagine that a country like America now says, as we are now saying, well, we're not going to drill, we're not going to frack, we're not going to pump our own oil, we're going to rely on the rest of the world for our oil. And now imagine that Christian country has a vast majority of its population raptured off the face of the earth. And now who knows who's controlling? Maybe the UN is now controlling the United States. These are all hypothetical, by the way. But you can see very quickly how the world would turn into a very easy target for a worldwide commercial system that would have the Middle East as its headquarters. Because they will retain wealth. Russia needs the Middle East. China needs the Middle East. The United States needs the Middle East. And we keep talking about, well, we're, you know, we're nearly self-sufficient. That is partially true. But only to the extent that we use the reserves that we have. Not because of what we're currently producing. And so Saddam decides that he's going to rebuild the ancient city of Babylon. And he does it in a very magnificent way. He prints on those bricks in the era of Saddam Hussein, the son of Nebuchadnezzar, protector of Iraq, who rebuilt civilization and rebuilt Babylon. Sixty million of them he produced. Now we know he was crazy. But... The city's still there. The nation's still there. Civilization still exists there. And so Isaiah says there's going to come a point in time when it's no longer going to exist. The Middle East will take a very prominent place on the world scene. And so what does God say to us? What does God say to his people in all generations? You know what being a saint is, right? It is a called out one. Amen? Hagias. It means that you've been called out. We've always been called out people. We're supposed to be different. And so notice verse 4, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people. So during that period of time, which will, I believe this is the, near the very end of the tribulation, 
The world system is run amok. The nations are gathering at Armageddon. And finally, God says, enough. I'm going to take down everything. I'm taking down your religious system. I'm going to take down your commercial system. So he's at that place. He said, come out. Remember, there are people that will be saved during the tribulation. It's going to be extremely costly. They'll give their lives, most of them, many of them instantaneously for their faith. But the Jewish people specifically, who are going to be at the forefront, because remember, the tribulation is primarily about the nation Israel. It's about their salvation. It's about them seeing Messiah. It's about God reconciling, as the book of Joel reminds us, that what the world has done to Israel, to God's people, and to God's land. And so at that time, God finally says, enough. Come out of her, my people. Out of that system. Out of commercial Babylon. Remember, people have had to, you know, scrimp to buy a loaf of bread. They've been giving up gold for simple things. Lest you share in her sins. Lest you receive her plagues. You see, when God finally has enough, he's had enough. Sometimes we wonder, we look at the, we look at the world. Mankind's heart is desperately wicked. It's deceitful, and who can know it? That's what scripture says about man's heart. Now, can man do good things? Yes, of course. Can we engage in acts of philanthropy? Yes. Can we do kind, wonderful things? Of course we can. But the heart of man is generally self-seeking and self-centered. We normally look after ourselves. We had this, I shared with the staff yesterday, we have a, we'll show it to you, we're going to post a couple of them, but we have a group photo from Israel. And it was funny as they were being handed out at this bus stop uh, there next to the Jaffa Gate in, in Jerusalem, I was watching people, and the very first thing they did was look for their own face. They wanted to see if they were being weird, or, you know, if they got a good picture, if their eyes were closed. And so you can see them, they're scanning across, and the first thing they point to is themselves. That's how we are. That's what we do. Now imagine that the Holy Spirit has its presence in the life of believers has been removed from the world stage. And now evil in its fullest has come to fruition. And people no longer are restrained. You, you think materialism is bad now. You, you think people are money hungry now. Imagine when the restraint is removed. When people aren't going, you know, maybe we shouldn't be doing that. Be totally corrupt. And greed fully sets in. Proverbs 17.23 says, A wicked man accepts the bribe behind the back to pervert the ways of justice. Paul reminded Timothy there in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's the root cause, in other words, of all kinds of evil. It isn't itself evil. It is the thing behind the evil that people do very often. Or which some have strayed from the faith. I have met people who have, who have given up their relationship with the Lord. They've stopped going to church. They no longer want anything to do with God because of money. You talk to them, it's like, well, I, I just don't have time. I've got other things going on. I got my RV, I got my ATV, I got my KFC and my one, two, three, and I'm out of here. 
I got other stuff going on. And then you meet them later in life and they have been pierced through with all manner of evil. Because they traded that which is good and godly and productive and a need in our life, our relationship with God, and they traded it for a few ducats. They traded it for that RV. And again, if you got an RV, God bless you, I want to borrow it. I got an old boat out there in the parking lot. I, if you want to borrow it, you can borrow it. It's God's boat. I'm not talking about having a few things. I'm talking about the possessions that possess us. I'm talking about people that don't have time for the Lord or God's people. They don't have time for anything having to do with God because they're so focused on cash and the things that cash can buy. We justify all kinds of things including being dishonest. You know, I, I, had a, I actually got into a fairly heated argument with a guy in the height of the, what we call the mortgage crisis, when the subprime mortgage crisis hit. And you had all these people crying foul, well, I got a bad loan. Now, it is true that some people got a bad loan. But you know what's more true? Is people were greedy trying to buy things that they couldn't afford. And they lied on those mortgage applications. They inflated their income. They put down things that they didn't have. And because the government relaxed the, the restrictions on those mortgages, they ended up with something they should have never had. That's greed. And we need to call it what it is. That's part of the world system. With food and raiment and such as these things, Scripture says, be content. And we're going to finish up with the Apostle Paul on Sunday. I have learned how to be abased and I've learned how to abound. But in all these things, I've learned how to be content. We, we need contentedness in Jesus because the world's trying to trap us with uncontentedness, discontentedness. Lack of contentedness with searching after things that cannot and will not satisfy ultimately. Oh, they'll be fun for a while. And then you got to make the payments on them. Amen? We call that buyer's remorse, right? You ever notice how you go in? And, and again, I'm not picking on anyone, so I won't use any specific thing. But you know how when you go to pick, pick up some large ticket item? You know, you go buy that because everyone needs an 87-inch flat screen, Right? And you go in and you, like, you, you look at your TV, which is only 52 inch. You know, most of us in here, we, we started watching TV on black and white ones with 13 inch screens. Okay, just saying. But you know, you go in and wow, now it's only 2,500 bucks. And oh, wouldn't it be great to watch the Super Bowl on it? You know, and then you get the first payment for $285 a month for the next 10 years. And you realize that your first five cars didn't cost that. And all of a sudden it doesn't satisfy like you thought it would. Because it can't. Satisfaction comes from God. It's a condition of heart. It's not a condition of pocketbook. Amen. That's why John told us there in 1 John 2, don't love the world. That's what he was getting at. All the stuff of the world, he would go on to say in that passage, 
is going to perish. It's fading away. Family, it's going to get ugly. The cup of sins is full. The world's boiling over, if you will, at this point in time. And it surely is headed that way now. We're not there yet. It can, it can absolutely get far worse than it is tonight. But you can see how we're being set up, how the world's situations are transforming in such a way that it would take nothing to push us to this step. Staggering the amount of crime. Uh, we, we spent some time, uh, several hours in, in Yad Vashem, which is the Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem. And one of the things that I think shocks me the most, besides the human toll that was taken on God's people, Israel, was the amount of thievery that was engaged in by the Germans to the point of pulling out gold fillings out of people's mouths to making sure that if they had gold frames on their glasses, they knocked the lenses out and kept the frames. Stealing family photos that might have some gold or silver in the frame. Their basic utensils of life, piles of silverware, silver service sets. For the sake of money, life meant nothing. But God forbid we lose the art or the cash, the gold, the silver, the precious things. Verse 5, for her sins have reached to heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. Don't think for a moment that God doesn't see what's going on in our world. Don't think that he doesn't see every disadvantaged person in every neighborhood, in every city, in every town, in every poverty-ridden place on this planet, every favela, every village, every hut, every inequity that's ever been undertaken on this earth God has seen. And he will one day make it right. God has remembered her iniquities and to render her just as she has rendered to you. And to repay her double according to her works and the cup in which she has mixed, mixed double for her. Do you, do you get the picture? <laughs> None of this is, is sneaking by God. And he is the deliverer of his people. And the righteous shall always prevail. And whether that happens in this life or the next, our God is faithful. And he's missed nothing. In the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, and please underline that word, there's nothing wrong with having nice things. But there is something that crosses the line when you get to the place to where you're living luxuriously. And that word simply means to live beyond anything that's possibly needed. It doesn't mean you can't have nice things. It, it means to have opulence. There just simply isn't a place in the life of any believer for some of the things that this world offers. 
We, we need to be careful on what we spend the resources that are not ours that God has entrusted to us. For those of us in ministry, God has, has asked us to be temperate, moderate in all things. And that includes every kind of possession. That means a moderate house, a moderate car. We don't fly first class. We surely don't have private jets. We don't wear big honking diamond rings. And we need to be in the middle of the road where everybody else lives. That's where, that's where people who love the Lord ought to hang. And here's why. It gives you all kinds of money to give away. So that when you see your brother who is in need, you will not harden your heart, but you'll, you'll see to it that you've done your part to meet that need. That's why giving is an act of worship. Did you know that? Giving is an act of worship. It's not an obligation. It's me telling God, not only do I trust you, but I believe in you. I believe this is all yours to begin with. Too many people think that they're, they're giving God something. You're not giving God anything. When you give, you're worshiping by turning back over to God money so that he can use it for his kingdom. It's all his to begin with. And in the same measure, give her torment and sorrow, for she says in her heart, I sit as a queen. I'm no widow and will not see sorrow. Isn't that the way the world is? A lot of people believe that they can buy themselves out of sorrow. That they're luxurious possessions. You can drive through any very expensive neighborhood on the planet and you're going to find something true. You're going to find houses in foreclosure. Houses in default. Houses in disrepair. And they're worth millions. Maybe tens of millions. Why? Because someone who thought their wealth was going to last forever came to the conclusion that Scripture always says, you can't keep it and you ain't taking it with you. This is not yours, it's God's. Whether people see it or not, everything, the earth and the fullness of it is the Lord's. And the sooner we recognize that, the better off we are because then we don't stress after those things which are not ours to begin with. I'm not looking for something that isn't mine. I'm just simply asking God to do for me what he promised to do and that's to supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. But the world doesn't work that way. The world says the more you have, the better you are. And therefore, I, her plague, therefore her plagues will come in one day. Death, mourning, famine, utterly burned with fire. For strong is the Lord our God who judges her. You see, it'll be too late. Just like it was too late for Belshazzar. Remember? Eeny, meeny, miny, tekel, yafarsin. You've been found in the balances to be wanting. Tonight your life will be required of you. You know, God knows when he's going to pull that trigger for all of us. And wealthy people very often have no concern for the things of God. That's not all. There are many wonderful wealthy people that use the wealth that God's given them for his kingdom. But they understand that that wealth is God's. But the world doesn't see it that way. One of the things that irks me about our presidential election right now. Can you imagine if we took the billions that's been spent on lying and cursing and defaming people, the billions that's been spent, and maybe fed some poor people 
provided some homes in some inner city areas, maybe provided job training for people who desperately need jobs and then started some factories so that they have a place to work. I think that's a better idea than listening to people bloviate. That's why Scripture reminds us that there's no one besides God. Only God can do this. Only God can say this. You know, one day he's going to maul the mall. He's, he's going to knock it down. He's going to say, enough's enough. And I think it's important that we realize that just as, as the world sees it today, the world thinks this is all going to go on forever. It's just going to get better and better and better and bigger. And, you know, we're going to build taller buildings. And, I mean, my goodness, we already have... We already have a couple of buildings that are nearly a half mile into the sky. Who wants to live up there? I mean, planes fly at that level. It's like, can you imagine going to sleep at night as a jet goes by your window? <laughs> Verse 9, the kings of the earth who committed fornication and live luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning standing at a distance for fear of torment and saying, Alas, great is the city of Babylon, a mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. Imagine that. And it wasn't until the 1960s that we actually developed weaponry that could pull these types of things off. The Israelis actually developed the best of all of the neutron bombs, but when you think about it, it's just an enhanced radiation weapon. Basically, it would be dropped on an area so that the radiation would destroy the people and not destroy the buildings. And interestingly enough, when we developed our copies of them at the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory in the Central Valley of California, the doctor that was the head of that project, Harold Brown, and, and then Soviet Secretary General Leonid Brezhnev both described the neutron bomb as the capitalist bomb. Isaac Asimov would go on and write a little article about it, and he said, such a, a neutron bomb or an N-bomb seems desirable to those who worry about property and hold life cheap. That is exactly what the Antichrist will do. Set up a system whereby stuff matters and people don't. And God help us if we get there. You see people see their wealth, their lifestyles going up in flames. They're going to bemoan the fact that it's over, that's for sure. And then this final section of this chapter, it becomes very clear what's going on. Verse 11, and the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. You ever thought about who buys all the stuff in the mall? Because when I go there, I, I look at it and go, I can get that at Walmart. may not be quite as good, but it's about a third of the cost. Look, I'm cheap. It's okay. I, call me cheap. I don't care. No one buys their merchandise. Merchandise of gold and silver and precious stones and pearls and fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet and every kind of citron wood, every object of ivory, every object of most precious wood and bronze and iron and marble and cinnamon incense and fragrant oil and frankincense and wine and oil. You notice that by and large, not one thing in here is necessary for human life. It's all extravagance. It's all luxuries. 
cattle and sheep and horses and chariots, the bodies and souls of men. Notice what they're selling. They're selling people. Perhaps the greatest tragedy uh, this world has ever known is the cheapening of life to the point of enslaving people, making their life worth something that's monetary. God help us. But can I tell you, it still exists in our world today. There are hundreds of thousands of, of people who are enslaved tonight. They're in sexual slavery in Thailand, Indonesia. They're actually enslaved in India. There are people enslaved in much of the Middle East. We have learned nothing. A fruit that is your, your soul has longed for is gone from you. All the things that were rich and splendid have gone from you, and you'll find them no more at all. The merchants of these things who become rich by her will stand at a distance for fear and torment, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, the great city was clothed with fine linen and purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, for in one hour such great riches have come to nothing. Now imagine, that's not happening at the time these words were written. It was an impossibility. And the reason it was an impossibility is we had no way to destroy the physical structures and we certainly had no way to destroy the monetary structures that existed at that time. We now have that ability. The world could go up in flames in an hour now. We call them nuclear weapons. You see, every shipmaster and all who traveled by ship, sailors, many as trade in the sea, stood at a distance and cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, what is like this great city? And they threw dust on their heads and cried out. It's a typical Middle Eastern grieving, weeping and wailing, saying, alas, that great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth. What? Think about it. How does most of the world's oil transit around the globe? Very large tanker ships. How does most of the goods that we buy that lands in the harbor, in L.A. Harbor at San Pedro? Cargo container ships. Most of the world's goods travel that way to this day. For in one hour she's made desolate. I love the way John Corson talked about this passage. He said it's like you're taking a trip through it. Some fancy department stores like Macy's or something. You're just going floor by floor. It's like you got jewelry, you got home furnishing, cosmetics, you got the food court, the automotive section, and down there in the basement, you got the stuff that nobody wants to talk about. You see, the world is, is in that place where they put far too much emphasis on the things that we possess. Peter tells us in Second Peter 2, verse 19, while they promised them liberty, They themselves are slaves of corruption, depravity, by whom a person is overcome, and by him he also is brought into bondage or slavery. You see, stuff will enslave you. Pretty soon you no longer master it, it masters you. And so from God's view, he says, Rejoice over her, O heaven, you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. And then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus, with violence, the great city of Babylon shall be thrown down and not be found anymore. 
It gives this picture of this final world commercial system just sinking to the bottom of the sea. I know how easy that would be, even tonight, for that to occur. That's God's view of it. He says, look, I have it all under control. The world may think that it's got something on the Lord, but it doesn't. God's going to ultimately finally have the last word, and when he does, it's played out in technicolor for us. Verse 22 says, The sound of the harpist, the musicians, the flautist, the trumpeters shall not be heard in you anymore. Now, we, we look at it in a much different way. Your iTunes music store is no longer going to be a happy place. There isn't going to be any music. There's going to be no craftsman of any craft found in you anymore. The sound of a millstone shall not be heard. You won't even be able to find food. The light of the lamp shall not shine in you anymore. The voice of the bridegroom, the bride, shall not be heard in you anymore. There won't, nobody will even be concerned with being married. Boy, if that's not already on the horizon... For your merchants were great men of the earth, for by your sorcery all the nations were deceived. And in her was found the blood of the prophets and the saints and all who were slain on the earth. It says that in the last days, those things which men hold radically dear, isn't it weird? I mean, people sit around and they watch these award shows to find out who got, you know, the best person who carried a cello through the halls of some place. It's like there's an award for everything, for every kind of music. And some are pretty despicable, aren't they? It's like the things that, that people hold dear. It's mind-boggling to me. And yet God says, I haven't missed any of it. One day I'll take care of it. And when I do, when it goes down, God's going to have the last word and it's going all the way to the bottom of the ocean. Never to rise again. Commercial Babylon, the system that the world holds dear, is going to come crashing down. I'll leave you with this story as a Christian man who hit some hard times. He lost his job. You know, sometimes we... We wonder why we go through things in life. He got to the place he was so depressed. He, he trusted the Lord, but he was at that place that maybe some of you have gotten to. I'm just not sure where God fits in my life. He was walking one day, and he came upon a building project, and they were working on some stone face on this building. And he saw a, a mason working with a, a saw, a concrete saw they're cutting a, a piece and he noticed it was very tiny and it was a triangle and, and he asked you know well, where does that one go he's looking at the building and it looks done and, and the mason pointed and it, all the way up in the corner of the building he says it goes up there and all of a sudden the guy got the picture he says God's working in me down here so he can put me up there God's working in us down here, but this is not where we belong. We belong up there with him. And sometimes we look at the world and we wonder why God allows the things that he allows. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's cutting. He knows what he's trimming. 
He knows what to cut off. He knows what to leave on. He knows how the piece that is your life fits into the rest of the puzzle of of the entire universe. And he doesn't make mistakes. And so we need to trust him and let God work. Amen? Because this world is passing away and we're just passing through. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time tonight. And we simply ask, God, I know that maybe you've been speaking to some of us in this room about where we are. I believe that's true, God. And I, I pray as we close in worship that, Lord, you would speak your truth into our lives. Pray if there's anyone here tonight. Let's reach that place to where they're, they're sick of the world system and they want something better. They want something new. They want what is right. And what they really want is you, Jesus. And we're going to give them that opportunity tonight to come and, and meet you as Lord and Savior. As the band leads us in this final song, pray that you would be moving in hearts and minds. And as the pastors come forward and we have them available for prayer that, Lord, you would, by your Spirit, draw men unto yourself. You're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And to as many as call upon the name of the Lord, they will be saved. And so, Lord Jesus, we thank you. It's that simple. We thank you that you want to give us meaning to our life. Pray that you would bless us now with your presence. Pray that these things would not cause us to worry or fret, because we need not worry in you, Jesus. We have the glory of the harpazo, the rapture, glory of the church, our going home, our homecoming. Look forward to. We pray that you would strengthen us to that. Pray that you'd bless us. We thank you for your word. Thank you that we know the end, Lord, that we know not to trust in horses and chariots, but to trust in the name of the Lord. And so we trust you. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.